the Gospel according to Matthew. This is Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good evening, everyone. I want to join all of those who have already welcomed you. I'm Bart Garrett, the lead pastor here. And uh, Merry Christmas. We're delighted to celebrate this season with you. And uh, I recognize in a crowd this size, there are probably uh, a lot of you who are deeply devoted Christians, and others of you are just sort of here to get the Christmas feels, which is totally fine. Uh, We're glad you're here. Uh, Some of us in this season are grieving, and um, we have loved ones that we miss. We're in estranged relationships that um, cause deep pain. Others of us are cheerful and joyful. Uh, Maybe when it comes to Christian faith, you're a little bit curious or unconvinced. Maybe you're skeptical. Maybe you're a little bit embarrassed that faith has just sort of snuck up on you and you're not even sure that why you're in church, but here you are. Uh, We have people online, so I want to say a special hello to you. I know some of you are sick and it is crushing you not to be here, so you're at home watching and you are with us this evening. Others of you are just drinking bourbon-laced eggnog at home, and uh, you know who you are. Um, I know some of you might be here to appease a friend or a neighbor or a coworker that just keeps inviting you to church. Uh, I know maybe you're here to deceive a family member who's visiting from out of town. You told them this was your church. Come up and introduce them to me afterwards. I will act like I know you, I promise. Uh, Two of you are here because you lost a bet, and I know who you are as well. Uh, All of you are warmly welcomed. And uh, let me just ask a question. Are there any pagan druids in the room this evening? So none of you put up Christmas trees? Okay, so I'm a pagan druid as well. It's my favorite part of Christmas to select and decorate a Christmas tree. And uh, before we get into this story, I want to ask a couple questions about this. This is a survey for you. So kids, you did an awesome job of participating. You can help your parents participate in the survey. But here's the question. Do you buy a real tree? Hands up. Real trees? Real trees? Okay. Artificial tree. Do you have an artificial tree? Hands up. Hands up. Okay. Second question. Uh, this is for those of you who, with real trees, those of you who don't hate Christmas. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Douglas fir, show of hands. Douglas fir, okay, handful. Um, Fraser fir, any Fraser firs? A few more. Noble firs, okay, you guys are just bragging. Okay, noble firs. Uh, another question Did you get your tree at a Christmas tree farm? Show of hands. All right. Christmas tree lot, Christmas tree lot. 
Okay, Home Depot. Home, de Home Depot. Keep your hands up. These are the ones who are wisest with their money right here. Okay. Couple more questions. Colored lights. And this is for all of you. Artificial trees, you can participate. Colored lights. Hands up. All right. Boring. I mean, white lights. Hands up. Okay. All right. Top of the tree. Do you put a star on the top of the tree? Okay. Angel on the top of the tree. Okay. Hands up. These are the most spiritual people in the room. Maybe the weirdest people in the room. We're not sure. But another question we ask about the tree is, where do we put the ornaments? You know, there are those fragile, cherished ornaments, and if you're a young family, you know, uh, those sort of make their way up the tree as your kids get older every year. And then there are those kid-made ornaments, those ghastly, I mean, gloriously beautiful ornaments that <laughs> might just get tucked away in the back of the tree. There's that ornament that your neighbor gives you that you only put out there when they come over to see you, right? The ugly one. Uh, not, not the neighbor, the ornament. Uh, then if, if, if you're a favorite sports team, if you have an ornament for them, front and center, unless it's like a rival team to someone else in your house, and it's sort of the battle of the ornaments, they keep moving around the tree. Where does each one belong? We ask that question at Christmas. And Christmas is also a season, the season really, where we ask the question, where does Jesus belong? Or more poignantly, how might God show up in your life? Or how would Jesus fit into your life? Maybe front and center, maybe tucked away in the back, maybe you pull him out only when certain people are around, right? And I'm not being judgy with the question at all, but I want to just invite you to explore that question for a few minutes through this little passage and through Jesus' mother, Mary. And before we dive all of the way into that story, uh, if you caught it, three times the virgin birth shows up in this very short passage. It's almost like an incessant faucet dripping, virgin birth, virgin birth, virgin birth for some of you. And you should know, I deconstructed my own faith for a season, and I am very passionate about helping people like you that get hung up on these matters explore Christian faith. And if that is you, find my email on our church website. I would love to meet with you at the first of the year. Um, suffice it to say here, a lot shows up, angels and miracles, but in a very brief teaching, I'm going to ask you to pretend that there's a plumber wearing pants that fit, see miracles do happen, who has fixed that incessant leak dripping in your faucet, virgin birth, virgin birth, but I want to point out two things about the virgin birth here and that's it. Maybe you're saying, I can't believe in the virgin birth because I know where babies come from. Well, when the angel appeared to Mary, what did she say? How can this be? I'm a virgin. She knew where babies came from. Joseph found out about this. He wanted to divorce her precisely because he knew where babies come from. <laughs> Imagine Mary going back after hearing from the angel and saying to her family, hey, I've got good news, I've got bad news, and I've got good news. The good news is I'm pregnant. The bad news is Joseph is not the father. But the good news is you are going to be grandparents to the Savior of the world, right? Second thing to point out here, in Scripture, catch this, the virgin birth is mostly about this. It's God alone who brings life. It's God alone who brings new life. In fact, as we contemplate that question, how does Jesus show up in my life? How does God fit into my life? This is the big idea. God alone can bring you new life. 
Some of you may be thinking, well, what's, what's wrong with my old life? I've got a fine life. And that's a fair point. But it's Christmas. And at Christmas, our longings and our desires are aflame. And I want to encourage you to delve into those desires. Listen to those longings. For we long for, for instance, an identity that isn't so fragile it's crushed by criticism or that crushes others from the weight that you put on them to affirm your value or your worthiness. We long for satisfaction that's not based merely on circumstances. We long for justice that isn't solely motivated by a vindictive us-them judgmentalism, but instead by a God who is ever bending the moral arc of the universe towards justice. We long for meaning in life that even the worst suffering, death itself, cannot take away. We long for hope, for a life that is beyond life, that the best relationships and conversations and experiences in this life are genuine echoes of what is to come. We all have these longings. We all have these desires. And on a societal level, we endeavor to address them, these unmet desires, with things like economic and legislative and sociological and psychological solutions But what if we're only treating the symptoms and not the problem itself? On a personal level, we can push these desires down or we can shove them away. We can get a new job or a new house or a new car or a new relationship or a new sweater. But what if we don't really need a makeover of the old life? What if we need a new one? And we can see this as we look at Mary, and I have to clear away some misperceptions. Mary, of course, as we saw in this beautiful play, Great Job Kids, is always the most popular one. That's a misperception, but I know in my own kindergarten play, I was wise man number two, Melchior, the bringer of the frankincense. And I, oh, I loved Mary. There was something about Mary. I just, I, my, my nemesis, Benjamin Ellis, who played Joseph, nemesis all through elementary school. I just wanted a play date with Mary, right? (laughs) There's also the nativity scene Mary. She's a little too naive. You know, she shows up donning a halo. There's the Christmas card Mary that looks a little bit like Mona Lisa without the smirk. But Mary was an unwed teenage mother. 25% of the women in that day were named Mary. Very common name. Subjugated as a Jewish woman under Roman rule. Subject to a census that forced her to travel long distances, nine months pregnant because a tyrannical Caesar liked to watch subjects take their marching orders. So it's this unwed teenage refugee that Jesus would bless with new life. And certainly in the newborn baby new life sort of a way. All of the coups and the clasping of the tiny hands and the the wide eyes. Yet let's delve deeper for just a moment. Where would Jesus belong in Mary's life? How could Jesus bring new life that is lasting new life? Well, we can address this question by looking in this passage at Jesus' two titles. And this is where I'm going. This is where I'll move towards a conclusion. The first one in verse 23, that Jesus would be called, as the prophet Isaiah foretold, Emmanuel, God with us. 
And I can't help but back up for just a second because if you saw the title sequence, Rough Roots and Beautiful Branches, if you've been with us at all as a church this past month, we've been exploring how Jesus shows up in a family tree that's even more dysfunctional than yours. I promise. But we've also been exploring that God would become one of us. Imagine it like this. The gravity of Christmas is that our solar system, amidst all of the other solar systems, if you were to try to find it, it would be like jumping into a sand pile with the dimensions of the United States of America that's 25 feet deep and finding one specific grain of sand. The Christmas story suggests that the God who created all of that brilliance and all of that majesty became one of us. God with us. The theological term is incarnation. I wish I had like 30 minutes to geek out on this concept, but suffice it to say here, there's nothing like this. No other religious system suggests that God is with us by becoming one of us. God did not use Mary as a rent-a-womb, but became Mary's DNA. In the incarnation, God is announcing that the creator of the universe became a single cell. The supernatural became natural. The metaphysical became physical, the unassailably holy became a little bitty baby that you could hug. And there's a radical juxtaposition between how God does life here and how you and me do life here. Our quest is to reach the top of the food chain, isn't it? We want relational and financial and emotional independence. We want to be invulnerable and impenetrable, but God takes the way down. He becomes vulnerable. Emmanuel, God with us. And if we sit in the comparison between God and us for any length of time, we'd long for the second name, the other name that's given to God in this story. We hear it as Jesus. They would have heard it as Yeshua. Yahweh helps or the Lord saves. Well, saves us from what? Saves us from whom? The Messiah was to save the people from the Romans, for sure. But this says right here that Jesus would also save his people from their sins. What in the world does that mean? Well, on the eighth day, Joseph and Mary would take Jesus to the temple to be consecrated, and they would come into contact with this old prophet Simeon, and Simeon would take the baby, cradled in Mary's arms, into his own hands, and this is what he says. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. What is Simeon saying? That Jesus will turn the world upside down? Yes, but it will be through changing people from the inside out. It's true, structures and systems of the world operate via a use and an abuse of unjust power. But those things are birthed from a pride that resides right here in the ventricles of the human heart. So there are power plays out there, but there's pride right here. Even Mary, this unwed teenage refugee, is not immune Simeon tells her that a sword will pierce her soul too. Yes, Jesus will topple unjust power structures, but first, pride has this death grip, this stranglehold upon all of us. 
Because here we are, 2,000 Christmases later. Some believe, some doubt, some are happy, some are sad, some wonder, some wander. But all of us, if we care to admit it, live with this chasm between who we are and who we're called to be. We're not the friend we want to be. We're not the parent we want to be. We're not the neighbor we want to be. We're not the me that we want to be. And we can pursue self-help. In fact, I looked up 62,000 self-help titles on Amazon, so get busy reading in 2023. But the Christmas story is not self-help, but God's healing. It's not self-reliance, but God's rescue. Because as the story began, in the beginning we had this joy and this intimacy and this belonging with God, but it was contingent upon being dependent on God. But the self-sufficiency drove us away, and that self-sufficiency today is this seed in our heart that births arrogance when we succeed and loathing when we fail, and both of those things are attached to pride, to pride, that I'm doing just fine all by myself sort of a life. We can't swallow our pride because it swallows us. We need help. We need help. And I conclude with, with a, a quote and a couple quick comments. The quote is from George Lakoff. He was, uh, still is a professor of linguistics at Cal Berkeley. Amazingly brilliant person. Re- wrote a lot of books. One of them that I found very valuable was Moral Politics. And there's a chapter in there about religion. And this is what Professor Lakoff writes. He says, Christianity works by a moral accounting system. Immoral deeds are debits. Moral deeds are credits. If you have a big enough positive balance of moral credit when you die, you go to heaven. If you have a negative balance, you go to hell. These general notions are shared by most forms of Christianity. And the first time I read that, I almost fell out of my chair that this is what the intelligentsia believes about Christianity, that God is like this Ebenezer Scrooge counting good deeds in the counting house. The assumption that Jesus came to reward good people for being good or maybe to turn bad people into good people, but Jesus actually came to make dead people alive. It's new life. God alone brings new life. Those longings that we talked about that Christmas sort of plucks like cello strings, identity, meaning, purpose, justice, happiness, hope, these deeper experiences with these desires are somehow integrated with this new life that Jesus brings. You know, Mary is the only person that shows up at the manger, at the cross, and at the empty tomb. You ever thought about that? Mary realizes she needs to be present at the manger, God with us. She needs freedom that only the forgiveness of the cross can provide, and she needs the hope of the resurrection. Mary is there at Jesus' birth. She's there at his death. She's there when the old world is broken apart and the new world enters in. So where does Jesus fit in your life? this Christmas? How does God show up? Front and center, tucked away, pull him out, you know, only when certain people are around? Well, I conclude with with Christmas trees, where I started. As much as I love them, they're dead. And Christmas trees 
are a metaphor of what our lives can become. Cut down by our search for self-sufficiency, by our quest for the top of the food chain, for that I'm doing just fine all by myself sort of a life. We do our best to dress up a dying life. We put some ornaments, some twinkly lights, a star, maybe an angel. But all at once or over time, Jesus gets cast aside, tossed to the curb. And maybe this is the Christmas for you for the first time or for the first time in a really long time to find Jesus again as Emmanuel, God with us. Because God can bring you new life. Let's pray. God, for those in this room who are hurting, Jesus, would you bring hope for those that are doubting and despairing? Uh, would you bring confidence that you're present? For those who are overjoyed, and this is a season of, of great relief and release, would you demonstrate that you are the source of those wonderful desires? And for all of us, as we continue to struggle, fight against self-reliance and self-sufficiency, would be, we be reminded that ultimately you alone can bring us new life. It's in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit we pray. Amen.